You're listening to Adam and Eve, your feminist radio show on CJSR. My name is Marco Visconti. And my name is Rose Eva Forks Jenkins. We will be your hosts for this evening. On today's show, we're showcasing some of the emerging voices that spoke at Edmonton's Solidarity Rally with the Women's March on Washington. Coming up later in the show, we have interviews with activists Nikita Valerio and Ray Cash Walters. But first, we want to play you some streeter interviews that Lisa Pruden gathered at the rally on January 21st at the legislature grounds. Let's take a listen. So my, my niece lives in the States and she's going to Washington to march, or she's in Washington today marching in the march there. And my sister and her husband and my brother are marching in Calgary and I've got a cousin marching in Boston and I'm marching here and we're all feminists and wanting to support the cause. I have, I'm in my 60s and I've worked very hard my whole life to support women and I'm here to support them and I'm here with my daughter and my two granddaughters, three generations. All right, um, as a woman of colour I'm particularly concerned about Trump's policies. I'm really excited to see all the people that are coming out today because it says that globally people are understanding the danger that we're all facing. I'm here today um, partly because my dad, who is 82, asked me uh, earlier in the week if this march was only for women and when I told him that no it wasn't, he said okay let's go. I'm basically here because I am in solidarity with a lot of people in the States. Um, I have a lot of female friends and a lot of transgender friends and non-binary friends in the States right now who are very scared and feel very alone and don't feel very supported. People people have to uh, be willing to uh, speak up and it's just trying to say it, the future isn't isn't the way he's headed. The future is, is the way Canada heads. My name's Joanne. I'm here. I'm a member of LEAF, the Women's Legal Education Action Fund. I think the issues of equality and social justice and um, environmental issues and reproductive rights are so important. And it's a very um, disheartening time right now. And we, it's thrilling to be together, to have these, to see these crowds joining of shared vision of community building and fairness and social justice and equality. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Adam and Eve on CJSR. We just finished listening to some streeter interviews taken from Edmonton's Solidarity Rally with the Women's March on Washington. Let's go over to Marco's interview with Nikita Valerio. Nikita is an academic writer and activist in Edmonton. She's studying Islamic Jewish studies at the University of Alberta, and she's also vice president of external affairs with the Alberta Muslim Public Affairs Council. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful. I came here today to inform you that the day you were born was not the day you came out of your mother's womb. The day you were born was the first time you witnessed injustice and decided to take a stand. So, first of all, thank you for making time to come speak with me. Of course. Um, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, my first sort of set of questions are about the the solidarity rally for the Women's March on Washington, which happened on January 21st at the Alberta legislature, where you spoke. Um, mm -hmm. So first, I just wanted to ask, what were your thoughts on that event sort of as a whole? Uh, generally speaking, I felt really excited that it was being planned uh, when I first heard about it basically November 9th. Um, a friend of mine who's very active in feminist issues in Edmonton, Michelle Brewer. Um, I originally met her through our Salam Shalom Muslim Jewish Women's Group, and she contacted me if I would be willing to help out and speak. 
And uh, I was really excited about that. And I was just really excited that we would be able to show solidarity in Edmonton. And I was hoping we'd be able to use it as a platform for intersectional Mm -hmm. feminism, which I think was really uh, well developed uh, in the Edmonton version of the rally. Mm -hmm. So, So generally speaking, I think overall it was really positive. Were you prepared for the amount of people that came out? Uh, I was quite struck by that. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a point where myself and Paula Kierman were standing on the legislature steps watching, literally watching the crowds pour in. Mm-hmm. And we were like, okay, this is going to be interesting. Um, but at the same time, I really felt, I, I wasn't surprised. Um, I did feel like uh, people, this is a concept and an idea that people had really uh, grappled with or, or, or had grabbed onto. Mm-hmm. I was a little bit concerned that that many people were showing up for a rally about women um, and weren't showing up for other protests and things uh, that had previously happened regarding Aleppo or missing and murdered Indigenous women. So I I recognized um, the kind of crowd that was there. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful that they came out, but I still think we have more work to do. Yeah, Yeah, I I noted that too because I've I've attended other um, similar events at the legislature and I was like, I've never seen this many people and it's interesting to think about like what about this particular event you know sort of resonated with so many people to go out for the first time and whether or not that will continue Mm -hmm. there were a lot of people there for the first Mm -hmm. time I think at one point one of the speakers said how many people this is their first rally and so many people shouted Mm -hmm. Um, so that I think that was really positive if this is people's first kind of foray and activism it's a really good place Mm -hmm. to start (laughs) how did you decide on what you were going to say, because um, I imagine that, I don't know, there's so many different things you could have said, but... That's true. Uh, actually, the process of writing my speech was very strange and very quick. <laughs> so I would literally find myself walking down the street and get a line in my head of something that I felt was powerful and important, and I would quickly record it in my phone. And then the process of assembling it all together was really just taking those notes that I had mm-hmm. made and forming them into something more cohesive. But for me, it was really about, I mean, I could have stood up there and talked about Muslim women's issues. I could have talked about um, Muslims being targeted by Trump in the United States and his administration, but it isn't only about uh, people like me. It's about everyone, um, and and so I really wanted to use it as an opportunity uh, to to speak to what people are going through, um, and also to speak on behalf of my faith. Uh, you know, Islam is really about justice and it's about peace and equality, and I wanted to represent that adequately. I, I wanted to ask you specifically about the f- opening lines of your of your speech, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, <laughs> but I think it went something like, the, the day you were born was not the day you came out of your mother's womb. Uh, the day you were born was the first time you witnessed injustice and decided to take a stand. Perfect. Could you explain what that that meant and where that came from? Um, so for me, I wanted to make it clear to people that... A big part of my philosophy of really of life is that um, human beings fail to come alive when they fail to stand up for one another. And um, 
I have come from a background of of all kinds of diverse uh, viewpoints, um, some of which are abhorrent to me now. And I recognize that I was not understanding um, the importance of justice and fighting for equality and peace and love and what that really means um, at the time that I held those views. Uh, so I feel like I, I have come alive um, through the understanding of what other people mean and, and what their dignity means and what fighting for that dignity mm. means. Um, so the moment I feel like I was born was when I really recognized that. So I wanted to convey that um, in the first moment mm -hmm. of speaking. D do you recall what moment it was? Was it something specific? I've always been like political activism inclined in my life. Um, I held my first peace march against the war in Afghanistan in 2002 in January. I just had my like 15 year anniversary of that when I was 15. So I've always been um, inclined to social activism. I did go through a period though uh, where I was kind of flirting with right wing ideas, um, fascist ideas even, which I'm not afraid to admit now. Um, and and I, I went through a personal evolution, uh, mainly through education. Mm. Um, so not only formal education, but also living abroad, meeting new people, um, helping to build a school in Morocco, in rural Morocco, uh, converting to Islam. All of those things sort of like change your worldview because they put you in liminal spaces. Um, and being in a liminal space makes you realize how oppressive hegemonic worldviews are. Um, and then you're better able to critique, critique mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say it's, it's been a, a lifelong thing, but there wasn't really one moment that I can think of. Like, I, I remember when I was younger, I would have moments of being horrified by things or my brother coming home and asking my mom what the, what the N-word means um, because he'd heard it, at, you know, his Muslim friend being called that at school and that kind of thing. And, and just having this innate uh, sense uh, that that was wrong mm -hmm. um, and then wanting wanting to push it further and actually do something about mm -hmm. it. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of education too, that that evolving um, through time. And being okay with that. Mm -hmm. It's really important. Like, I mean, if I go back 14 years and look at myself in high school, <laughs> and people who knew me in high school are horrified, <laughs> would be horrified to go back to that time because I was quite a, quite an extreme person. But um, And I think most teenagers are. But when you combine that with political philosophy, it's a dangerous combination. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, it, you have to be patient with yourself and to recognize that it's a learning process. And even if you go out and you deliver a powerful speech to 4,000 people, and you inspire them, that doesn't mean that you know everything. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to grapple properly with yeah. what's happening in the world. But you can work on it. Does that tie into the idea of um, hearing the call? That was, that was a theme of your speech as well. Um, I'm not sure. Like, to be honest, I feel like resistance is the goal in itself and it's an active thing. Um, so for me, freedom is not a state that we will achieve. Happiness is not an end goal we will achieve. It might not even be the most desirable one. Uh, the act of resisting is freedom itself. Um, and I think that that's really important. So hearing the call doesn't mean hearing the call one time. It's recognizing it every single time you hear it, recognizing when you're called on to do better. Um, so I, I sort of... Uh, 
uh, I negate the idea of like a teleological progressive worldview mm -hmm. that we're going towards some state of <laughs> utopia. I actually think that continuous critique mm -hmm. and resistance is is where our freedom mm -hmm. is. So you are still hearing the call every day. <laughs> every single day. I mean, it's interesting as a metaphor. I used it because I'm Muslim and we hear, you know, in Muslim countries, we hear the call to prayer five times a day. Right. It's a perpetual call. You don't issue the call to prayer once and then everyone prays five times a day. It's something that you're continuously reminded of. And I think um, if we apply that to social activism and the, the quest for justice, that's really important because uh, it, it helps us to remember that uh, human beings are forgetful. Mm -hmm. And that we do need to regularly issue calls to justice and that that can reawaken people. I, I wanted to ask you, how did you how do you think you found your voice? As an activist, uh, I guess, specifically, uh, mm. maybe that makes it easier. Yeah, this is that's a really interesting question. I've never thought about that before. I, you know, I have lived through a lot of trauma in my life. And particularly three and a bit years ago, I gave birth to my daughter in Morocco. It was a deeply traumatic experience, and I've dealt with PTSD since then. Um, and it, that has really been a process of understanding what other people go through and being shown experiences. I mean, even as a convert to Islam, suddenly realizing what it's like, what it's been like for veiled hijabi women um, to exist uh, and being shown the kind of discrimination. So, so I have, you know, moved into some spaces as a as a Muslim woman and as someone who has lived through trauma, where I uh, can better empathize with what other people have lived through, and which I've sort of heard my whole life. But when it's really in your face and it's your lived experience, it's very different. Um, and and by virtue of the fact that I do live in a privileged position, um, Italians have been considered white for at least thirty years. Um, so I do recognize my privilege in that, and I recognize my privilege as a highly educated woman um, who is able to articulate uh, thoughts and feelings about these things, um, in which case I recognize that I have an ethical obligation mm. to use my voice. So I don't know if I would say I ever found it, but I understand that it's there and I have to use it. So what would be your advice um, to have difficult conversations with um, people who don't necessarily agree with you? This is a really important question. So there, you know, the word echo chamber keeps going around. And I try really hard to reinforce the fact that I refuse to be in an echo chamber. Um, recently, I gave a talk and it was like three hours of standing in front of the firing wall of people attacking Islam, of not recognizing that I was a human being standing in front of them. It was very difficult. It triggered my PTSD, triggered my anxiety. Um, so I guess in terms of advice, I would say ensure that you're safe, but recognize that if you occupy a space of privilege, that your safety might be your status um, and that you then have an obligation to go out into the world. I also, having spoken very briefly about my own past in terms of having questionable worldview, uh, that has helped me to recognize that people can actually change. Uh, so not only in my own personal experience, but also dealing with um, Islamophobes who are very close to me, who have completely shifted their idea of Islam um, since I converted. Um, Jewish women who I've known in the past who have told me flat out that they hate Muslims, and then they turn around and give me $1,000 for my Muslim school in a Muslim country. <laughs> um, so that to recognize change is totally possible. 
It does take emotional labor. If you're not prepared to do that at particular points in time, that's okay. Um, and to take care of yourself, uh, but to recognize that if we want change to happen, those difficult conversations need to occur. Well, thank you so much for coming here today. Thank you so much for having me. Deep down inside you, alarm bells started ringing and a call resounded through the center of your being. A call to take action, a call to stand up and use your voice to say, no, hatred will not live here, oppression will not be tolerated, injustice will not be served today. Welcome back to Adam and Eve on CJSR. We just listened to an interview with activist and writer Nikita Valerio about how she spoke at Edmonton's Solidarity Rally for the Women's March on Washington and how she found her political voice. If you'd like to keep up with all of Nikita's projects, that include building circles of sisterhood amongst Muslim, Jewish, and Indigenous women, and her work with the Alberta Muslim Public Affairs Council, you can visit her website, The Drawing Board, at thedrawingboardcanada.com, and she told us that it's okay to add her on Facebook. Nikita's doing a lot of amazing work in Edmonton, so you should definitely follow her. Next, we have Rosiva's chat with Ray Cash Walters. A friend of mine, he asked me to consider something when I'm feeling some disdain for people outside of my barrooms. When I'm looking at the people outside, the people on the other side, and, I, and I'm not really liking them. He said, don't forget that we share a future with the people that we disagree with. Yep. So ring in your mind that, that working together is difficult, but it's necessary. It's necessary because it's the only way that we'll stay alive. And we know that we're talking about survival, right? You know that, right? The stakes are way too high for us to hunker down in our barroom and not emerge to work on our world. I'm Rose Eva Forbes Jenkins for Adam and Eve, and here with me in studio today is Ray Cash Walters. Hey. Thank you very much for joining us. No worries. And can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do as an introduction? Sure. Um, so, yeah, my name's Ray Cash Walters, and I enjoy community organizing. So, anything that will aid with the liberation of folks and um, bring a bit of equality to people's lives is something I'm usually interested in getting involved with. Um, one of the things that folks uh, know me more for is my involvement with uh, the Black Lives Matter Edmonton and area chapter. And so it's been a little bit over a week. January 21st, you spoke at the Edmonton chapter of the Women's March on Washington. Mm-hmm. When did you first hear about it and what was your reaction? I first heard about it actually a few weeks before. They had been organizing for a while for that, which is great because there was, you know, rallies all over the world. I mean, my thoughts were that I was glad that we were finding and forging an opportunity to create space to come together and hopefully um, create space to build relationships with folks that maybe we didn't necessarily have relationships with before. And to a certain extent, it was a great opportunity to sort of mourn where we are in the world and the effect that Trump's presidency has had on specifically the safety of black and brown bodies um, in North America and again across the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of what were your expectations in terms of what the Women's March was going to look like? 
I mean, I suppose I sort of thought it was going to look like a lot of other marches. I mean, uh, a gaggle of different folks coming together and speeches and conversation. And I was hoping for a bit more music, but it was great to have the Raging Grannies. Um, yeah, I think it was, it met my expectations in terms of the number of folks that were there that definitely exceeded my expectations. And I'm glad that sort of conversation that's been happening on online and in other circles is that if you're able to show up for the Women's March, then we need those folks in other organizing capacities with other groups like supporting Muslim folks who right now are going through a lot of terrifying stuff and also supporting Black Lives Matter and other movements that have been working for quite some time to um, liberate the communities that are most affected by white supremacy and colonialization and stuff. Can you tell me about being asked to prepare a speech for the march? What was your kind of reaction to that? I honestly didn't realize the intense organization that was going into the march. And so I didn't think of, it was sort of just an opportunity to share some of the thoughts and things that I've been struggling with and things that I've been thinking about. I know that at a lot of times at marches we can be I mean, hyper positive, if that makes any sense. And so folks will get up there and be like, you know, we are better than this. We are amazing. We will rise above, you know, without providing anything for people to work on after they leave. That's why I thought it was important to sort of bring up the struggles that we have in our communities and the challenges that we face and um, some of the ways that we can concretely um, move forward and do better. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, that's what I really liked about your speech. Is we knew what the next step was. You said specifically talked about barred rooms versus coalitions and how to then build coalitions. And um, can you talk to us about where that inspiration came from? There, there's a speech by uh, Bernice Reagan, and she did this speech at a, um, it was like a women's festival type event. And she was the one who exposed me to the term barred rooms. And... Um, I was actually discussing it, discussing it in this leadership group that I'm in called Next Up, which is a really great um, venue for folks to sort of work through um, what it means to be progressive, what it means to be a progressive leader, what um, organizing looks like in their lives. Um, I'd encourage any young person, I guess young being under 35, uh, to pursue and join Next Up. But anyway, so um, in Next Up, we had this conversation. We are talking about neoliberalism, and we were talking about her speech, and um, it really struck a chord with me. And I was thinking about it all the time after that discussion because I know that I live in those spaces a lot of the time, and I know that a lot of the time I feel like being in a bar room, having conversations that make me think is enough. And I and I know that it can feel like, well, I'm doing political work because, you know, we're doing, we're having the hard conversations and, you know, sometimes I even cry, right? But that's not the work. And we know that that's not the work. That's not the, that's not the stuff that changes the status quo. And so... Um, I just thought that I would share that, share my thoughts and feelings and that knowledge that I gained from her um, with the rest of the community, with anyone who will listen, um, so that we can actually move forward with the real political work that needs to be done that will actually change things. And yeah, that work can be kind of hard sometimes. The other part of your speech that I also found very powerful was how you mentioned that people should 
make coalitions even if they fail and I think that permission to fail like it's so refreshing to hear because even though it's something that's obvious it still feels really amazing to hear that Mm -hmm. and to know that it is okay to fail Mm -hmm. and why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, again, this, these are things that I just, in, the, I intimately struggle with these issues. So the issue of failing and allowing myself to fail, super hard. And I totally understand why people would struggle with that concept. Just the idea that you can just try something. You can just reach out to someone. You can try to build something. And if it doesn't work, there's so much I can guarantee that you will learn throughout the process um, and so much that I've learned. Um, an example is uh, with Black Lives Matter, we've decided that... So one of the things that we wanted to do is just bring community together to just hang out and talk. And so we decided to do these weekly um, community meetings. And that kind of goes against everything that we think, right? Because how are you going to organize something in a week, every single week? How are you going to um, ensure that people are engaged every single week? Um, and I think that that's okay. And we really want to just create space for people to just come together and have an opportunity to try things every single week, you know? You can um, come up with ideas for actions. You can just have really tough, intense, important discussions. We can um, watch films. We can share resources. We can do art (laughs) in public. Um, There's a lot of um, opportunities for us to just try and allow ourselves to not really do that well, but know that just because it didn't turn out well the first time doesn't mean that you stop. That's That would be such an injustice to what you're trying to work on if you were just sort of like, well, this one thing that I tried once didn't work out, so I'll stop here. <laughs> <laughs> and I find, too, those stories usually don't end like that. You, they usually end with, I tried something once, it didn't work out, so instead it turned into this, or I made a contact who then helped me with something else. Like I feel like those stories of... If you try that first step, it always gets you somewhere. It might not be where you thought you'd end up, but you are somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, actually, I just wanted to talk about a few Black History Month events that are going on. Mm -hmm. This is not an exhaustive list. I'd just like to be clear about that. Um, These are just a few things that I'm really excited about. Okay, so yeah, one thing that I had sort of generally mentioned was um, that Black Lives Matter is having community meetings. Um, one of the questions that we get really often is, um, you know, I'm an ally, but I really want to come out anyways. And I think that's great, but I just would encourage allies, if you're bringing, if you're going to show up in this space, to make a concerted effort to bring someone from your life who's black. So try to bring a black friend or three or ten <laughs> um, to the space to keep it true to sort of its intention. So yeah, it's every Sunday from 4 to 6 p.m. at the Parkdale Comdale Community League, and uh, we'd love for folks to come out. And then there's another thing happening for Black History Month called Black Arts Matter. It's from February 9th to 19th, and it's at the ATB Financial Arts Barns. And it's just sort of throughout the day, amazing artist, poet laureate, youth poet laureate of Edmonton, Nasser Adam. She's organizing it. And so I'd encourage folks to come out. Again, it's February 9th to 19th. Um, Just stuff going on throughout the day. I remember seeing the Black Girl Magic. That was one of the events that looked really interesting. That's funny you'd say that because that's the one that I'm actually part of. (laughs) 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 Um, I'm really excited about that. It's like a, yeah, just like a bunch of black girls hanging out is like the premise. 
But yeah, so those are some a couple of things that I'm really stoked on that I hope that people can um, get on board for. Also, Metro Cinema is um, showcasing a bunch of different Black History Month sort of uh, films throughout the month of February, including I Am Not Your Negro, which I'm really, really excited about and people should try to make it out for. That's about James Baldwin? Yeah. Yeah, awesome. It's and- going to be so great. Well, thank you so much for coming in to speak with us, Rakesh. No problem. Anytime. So, I'm asking you today, this weekend, this month, to step out of your boardrooms and organize, truly organize, build coalitions in public where it might fall apart, build coalitions where it might even fail, connect with people that you don't necessarily agree with, and maybe you don't even like them. Diverse relationships have tough conversations. I can guarantee you that it will be hard. I promise you we will disagree. I promise you. But we can't not do this. Take time away when you need it. Go back into your bedrooms once in a while. But don't stop because it's hard. We can't afford for you to. For the final time, welcome back to Adam and Eve on CJSR. We just listened to an interview with community organizer Ray Cash Walters. She told us about lots of amazing events coming up in the community, and you can find out more about her at her website, which is R-E-A-K-A-S-H dot com. And that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Adam and Eve will return in two weeks' time when we'll be discussing the notion of stepping into power and a gender-balanced production of Henry V that occurred right here in Edmonton. Thanks again for listening. So long for now.